Well, I'm Mike Boyle. I'm the interim associate pastor here, and we're going to look into God's Word today. So if you open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 will be down at verse 22 in the passage. Well, last month was my birthday, and on my birthday, I got this uh, notice from the state of Illinois that not only did I have to renew my driver's license, I needed to take an eye test to do it. So uh, I decided to drive by there one day, and I went to the one over in Schaumburg by Woodfield Mall, and um, as I pulled up, I looked, and there was this line of people all the way out of the place, halfway up to the next building. It used to be the, the old REI building. It's like, I said to myself, there is no way I'm going to wait this long to get my driver's license. I'll come back next week. So next week I came back, and the line was not only that far up, it had now gone all the way to the end of the REI building and circled around the whole north side of the building. I said, whoa, there is no way I'm standing in this line to get my driver's license. I'll come back next week. So I come back the next week. It's on a Friday. My birthday is on Sunday. This is it. I've got to get it this time. The line is down the whole REI building. It goes around the north side of the building. It goes around the back side of the building, goes the length of the whole building. Then I said, I guess I'm going to be standing in line today. I'm standing in line for two hours. And it would have been longer than that, except for one thing, my age. They came outside, and I was always getting close to the front, and they said, oh, sir, you get to move into the senior side here. I said, okay. Then I get inside, and they look at my thing and said, oh, we're not doing eye tests anymore. You don't have to take, I didn't even have to go. But I waited for two hours to do that. Now, I don't know your circumstances, but I know recently everybody's been standing in lines like they've never had before. Now, we're all accustomed at Starbucks. We know if we're going to drive up to Starbucks, we're going to be in a line. But we never expect that at other places. We've been waiting in lines like we've never expected before. Restaurants, stores, and places. And if you went voting this year, who would have ever thought you waited in line to vote? And all of a sudden, we're waiting and waiting in lines. And we wait for other things too, don't we? We just wait and wait and wait and wait. And we get tired of waiting, don't we? We had a passage this morning where they've been waiting over 400 years for God to do something. Malachi finished his book, the prophecy in Malachi, speaking of the coming Messiah, and he finishes his book, and all of a sudden you wait. A silence. 400 years, and when God finally speaks, it's to Zacharias in the temple. And an angel comes to Zacharias and said, you're going to have a son and you're going to name him John. That's it. Six months later, that same angel comes to Mary and says to Mary, you're going to have a child and you'll name him Jesus. Three months later, an angel in the dream of Joseph comes to him and says, you're going to have a son and you will name him Jesus. Six months later, Jesus is born. And a whole ensemble of angels show up to the shepherds, singing and praising God because the Messiah has been born. And the silence is broken as angels burst on the scene. 
And that silence of 400 years is finally broken. And the story we're going to look at today doesn't take place when Jesus is born. It occurs 40 days after that. He's circumcised on the 8th and they have to wait another 33 days. And the scene takes place in Jerusalem. It's with Mary and Joseph. And we get introduced to some other people there, a Simeon and an Anna. And there's baby Jesus that is there, but it's 40 days after he's born. Luke chapter 2, verse 22 sets the context of what we're going to hear and see today. Here's what we read. And when the time came for the purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him, that's Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it was written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So the circumstances are these. Jesus is born in Bethlehem. The law says the first child that a mother gives birth to is to be dedicated to the Lord out of Exodus. So they're bringing Jesus to be dedicated. It also says there that he's presented to the Lord also, and they're presenting him. But the third purpose is for purification. So for Mary, after giving birth, to be, in a sense, holy or cleansed in order to worship God, she has to come and make a sacrifice in order to be in God's presence again at the temple. And that's her purification. And it says you can bring two doves or two pigeons. If you go back to Leviticus, you'll find out actually what it says is that you can bring a lamb and make your sacrifice. But if you can't afford a lamb, then you can use the two pigeons. Which tells us that Mary and Joseph apparently couldn't afford the lamb, but they could afford the pigeons or the doves, and they come to make their sacrifice. So they've come into the temple. They're preparing to make their sacrifice. And as they come in, the scene is set for Simeon, who is there waiting for the Messiah. And here's what we read about Simeon. Simeon, when it comes to waiting, is understanding that waiting brings peace as God works. And here's what we read, starting in verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So we're introduced to this man, Simeon. By the words that we have here, some would suggest that he was probably a prophet in that day. He's devout. That means he's righteous. That means he lived according to the law. He did things that God wanted him to do. It identifies he's sensitive to the workings of God and what's going to happen. It actually identifies here not only that, but it talks about the Holy Spirit was upon him. But as he's upon him, it tells him what he's doing. It says he's waiting. He's waiting for one thing, the consolation of Israel. That consolation is one who's going to bring comfort to the nation. One who's going to bring encouragement to the nation. One who's going to be there for God's people. And that consolation is the Lord Jesus Christ as we would know him. But here it just says the Lord's Christ. That's his Messiah. That's the promised one from the Old Testament. All these Old Testament promises that there's a Messiah to come 
And all of a sudden, it's actually going to happen. Simeon was told, listen, Simeon, before you die, you're going to have the opportunity to see the Lord's Christ, Lord's anointed, the Messiah. You will actually see him. And then, after that occurs, you'll be ready, and then you can die. You can depart from this world. And as he does that, we read what transpires that takes place. It goes in verse 27. And he came to the Spirit into the temple. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, so they come in, they find Simeon, he takes the child in his arms. This is the time to present him, to dedicate him to the Lord. As he's holding the child, he says this. He now speaks to the Lord in heaven. Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. He's identified God's fulfilled all the promises he ever made to him. With this child in his arms, he's now ready to die. He's ready to go home. I don't know if you've ever been with believers who are planning or anticipating their going home in their death. It's interesting you spend time with them towards the end. As you talk with them, they have this somewhat of an assurance that things are okay. They may find themselves praying, they may be reading the scriptures, they may be singing songs, they may be sharing things with their family, but there's somehow a peace upon their hearts. There's somehow they're ready to go home. If you listen to them talk, say, I'm ready. I'm just waiting. Lord, take me home. And in that process of waiting to go home to be with the Lord, there's a peace that overtakes their souls. That's exactly what happened here. But the difference for him is that peace comes because God fulfilled his promise to him that he would see the Messiah before he would ever die. Just imagine him. Whenever the Holy Spirit revealed this to him, he gets up every morning. He goes to the temple and he is waiting. Is this the day? Is this the day? that the child is going to come in. Next day, he gets up in the morning, says to himself again, you know, God promised me this will happen before I pass away. I'm going to come to the temple. Well, it happened to every day. He does that. Every day, he does that. And today, the child is there. And as soon as that happens, he knows he could die that day as God fulfilled his promise. And he would depart this world in peace. But he also describes why this would be such a a good thing. Notice what else he says here in verse 30. What's going on? He says, for my eyes have seen your salvation. This child, he recognizes providing salvation. And then he describes that salvation that you prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. And for glory to your people Israel. Holding this child. He says you need to understand two things have happened here. This child is light to Gentiles. This child is glory for Israel. This child is the Messiah who brings this great salvation. Not just to the Jewish people. But to the Gentiles. I imagine in this room that most of us are Gentiles. Some of you are of Jewish heritage and you can identify with Israel. 
But for the rest of us, Simeon is telling us that on that day, that good news, that gospel, that salvation, which everybody in Israel would understood was for Jewish people, was not just for them. It's for the whole rest of the world of which so many of us get that salvation, that light, because of this child that Simeon celebrates the salvation we have in him. Oh, when it comes to waiting, at times it brings peace. But also when we are waiting, sometimes it brings pain. And the passage is going to shift. And after he speaks to God in heaven with his blessing to God, Simeon now turns his attention to Joseph and Mary. And here's what he says. Verse 33. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. You almost get the sense, even at the revelation by the angels to both of them, They understood that the Messiah was going to be born, but somehow they did not comprehend all that was going to be done by Christ. Maybe they didn't understand the Gentile component, but somehow when Simeon finished, they are amazed, amazed. This is true of their son, that this great salvation, this redemption will happen. Simeon continues, and Simeon blessed them and then said to Mary, so after it's all done, And Mary is here. And he may have actually handed the baby back to her. It may where she's actually holding the child at this point. We're not told. But somehow he's going to talk to her about this child that she could be holding. And I want you to imagine as a parent, moms in particular, mothers, women, holding this child. Dad, do you think the same way? Holding this child. Aunts and uncles, think the same way. You're holding this child, this 40-day-year-old child. And then you hear these words. Behold, this child is appointed, set apart, determined by God the Father. There's a plan in place for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed And a sword shall pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. He says, I want you to understand what this child means. This child is a child that brings division, opposition into the world. This child is going to have the capacity to have some people who rise up because of their faith in what he has done. But there's going to be other people who reject him and they're going to fall away. And this son that you're holding is going to divide people into two camps. Those who rise up in faith, those who fall away without faith. And that is what your son is going to do. And as she hears that and starts to understand that, it describes how she actually felt about that. He says it's going to be like a sword going through your soul. And it's interesting the word that he uses for a sword here. You know, you think of swords are different kinds. 
Think of people with knives. They can have you know, pocket knives. Or they can have a little bigger knife, a buoy knife or something. You can even have a fencing sword. That's not what this is. This is a two-edged sword. The big sword you use in battle. He said, Mary, that is a sword that's going to pierce your soul by what your son is going to do. And folks, that is pain. That is pain as she waits. Not sure what it's going to look like. Not sure what the outcome's going to be. It's pain for her as she waits. As she waits to watch her son divide a nation. Oh, we come to the ministry of Jesus and we see him do miracles. She's in that, she even comes to him at a wedding and says, son, I, they ran out of wine. And he gives them more wine. She watches as the opposition grows, even among his brothers and sisters, his own siblings. She watches as it gets closer to that final week in his life. She's aware of what it is when all of a sudden he's taken before the Roman soldiers and they beat him, they spit on him, and they eventually crucify him. She's there seeing all of that, the pain, the pain of waiting to see the sacrifice of her son in order to be a light to the Gentiles. There's times when we wait, we wait, and it's painful. Here you've got Simeon who's so excited about death. So excited to go home and be with the Lord finally. And he has death. I don't know about you, but have you ever had a loved one die? A believer who dies and you hear them talk about the peace they're going to have. But isn't it painful for you? Isn't there a loss, a grief that you face? Even if they're believers in Christ, you know they're in heaven, the heavens rejoicing, you know that. That's not how you feel. Isn't there a loss, a grief, a sorrow, a pain, and all that waiting for their life, for God to do what he wanted to do with them, that he finally accomplishes and gives them peace, eternal peace. But for us, Isn't our waiting resulting in pain? God understands not all waiting gives us peace. Sometimes waiting is painful. For God to accomplish what he wants to do, it brings pain to our souls. We suffer. We grieve. There's loss. It's not what we expected. There's uncertainty. And there's pain. And God comes and speaks into that pain because he understands at times when we wait, there's not just peace. Sometimes there's pain that comes. But then we're introduced to a third person or a third part of the story. It's actually, I think, the fifth person in the story. Here's what we read about Anna. 
Simeon, we find peace. Mary finds pain. And Anna, she finds praise. Here's how she responds. Verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then a widow until she was 84. So the story of her is, here she is in the temple, prophetess, somehow a ministry that she has for the nation of Israel. But she was one when she got married, and you usually got married in those days between 12 and 15. So she's 15, we'll say, we'll give her 15. She gets married. She's married for a total of seven years, and her husband dies when she's 21. And she's now been a widow for 63 years. 63 years a widow. And she's in the temple. She's there when Simeon makes his words and statements. She's there when Joseph and baby Jesus are there. She's there when all that takes place. And I'm not sure how close she was. I'm not sure all that she heard, but she's responding to the same setting and situation. Here's what happens then. Verse 37. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with and fasting and praying day and night. So she was there regularly just like Simeon. And, verse 38, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So here's how she responds. She comes up to the situation. She finds Jesus here. She finds the Messiah. She finds Simeon celebrating all that's taking place. She finds the joy, the peace in his heart and thanks he's given to God. She comes up and does the same thing. But it's interesting what happens when you start praising God for something. When you see something that is so great and unbelievable that God did something, what is your tendency to do? Is it to keep it in? Or is it to tell other people? And she starts telling other people all about what she has just seen. And she describes these people. Who are the people she talks to? Take a look there again in your text. And speak of him to all who were what? Waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Redemption. Purchasing with his blood is going to happen. Israel, to pay attention. The Messiah is here. He's going to redeem us. He's going to pay the penalty for our sins. That shedding of the blood will take place. We'll have that forgiveness finally here. And she's telling everybody who's waiting for that. Waiting and looking forward to that day. And it's coming soon. So this child is being presented and dedicated to God on that day. And for her, waiting meant praise. Whatever circumstance we may be in, God wants us to understand we need to wait. We need to wait on the promises. It's those promises that were made. To wait on the promises that are made. Why? Because we wait on the promises. He will bring consolation to our souls. God has his capacity as we wait, 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 wait. That he'll bring consolation, care, concern, comfort, encouragement to our very souls as we wait on him. Simeon is drawing from Isaiah when he speaks of all that Messiah is going to do. 
When you come to Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah introduces a whole new section in his book where he's going to talk about the servant of God. He talks about the servant in 42 and in 49 and 52 and 53. And as he talks about that servant, here's some of the things it says. This is Isaiah 49, verse 13. Shout for joy, you heavens. Rejoice, you earth. Burst into song, you mountains. Why? For the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. We need to understand the power of God's word that he comes alongside when we wait. I don't know your circumstances, but some of you are going through some tough times here. You're in a place where you've been waiting, you've been waiting, you've been waiting, you've been waiting, and it just doesn't seem like God's answering you. And internally, you find yourself somewhat afflicted, you find yourself somewhat worried, you're anxious, and you really need the peace of God to be in your life. And as you're waiting, you just don't know the peace of God, and he offers that to you. Let's look at some verses together. I just want to bring some assurance to your heart. That when you're waiting and you need peace, turn to John 14, verse 27. John 14, verse 27. Or tick it off on your phone. John 14, 27. This is Jesus speaking. This is wonderful words. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Folks, if you find yourself in a place that you're waiting, and you know what I'm talking about, you just find yourself somewhat troubled. You're just troubled about your circumstance and situation. You're just not sure how it's going to unfold and what's going to happen. You may find yourself even fearful of what may happen. And Jesus is saying, listen, I come and I give you peace. I give you this peace that will rest your souls. And that's a great promise. But I want to look at another passage which gives us sort of some tools to help us here. Turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. And verses 6 and 9 gives us two other things that help us to understand how we get the peace of Christ and the peace of God in our hearts and minds. One he's going to talk about is prayer. And the other is how we think and what we think about. Here's what he says. Philippians 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. The outcome and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Listen, when we're anxious about things, when we're worried about things, we need the peace of Christ We can pray. And God will give us peace as we pray. But there's a second thing. It's how we think. Look at verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, Put it into practice and what's the outcome? And the God of peace will be with you. How we think, what we focus on. You say, you need to shift how you think. When we wait, it can bring peace. 
And with God's promises, we can have peace. But what happens when we wait and we have pain? Turn to 2 Corinthians 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Here's what we read. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction, so we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Here's the promise he makes. If I find myself here waiting and it brings pain. God wants me to understand that he's the God of all comfort who will comfort me in my pain, in my affliction, in my turmoil, in my trouble. But he says something interesting about it too. He says, you know, Mike, after I comfort you, you have this great comfort I've given you in this difficult time of your life. I want you to know what you need to do with that. You're going to find a brother or sister over here who's going through the same thing you've gone through and they're going to be in pain and they're going to be in trouble and they're going to be in affliction. You know what, Mike? You can take that comfort I gave you and now you can comfort them. Brothers and sisters, we need to pay attention to this. We've all gone through painful times. And in those painful times, we've experienced the great comfort of God in our lives. He's come alongside and embraced us in a way that we never anticipated. He gave us great comfort in a way we never thought would happen. And we're so pleased that that took place. But it's not supposed to stop there. It tells us that when we see a brother or sister who's now suffering through the same thing we suffered with, we're supposed to go and comfort them but you know how we are. We see somebody else suffering. We say to ourselves, huh, I think I should probably give them a call and go check on them. Uh, They probably don't want to hear from me. Nah, I don't think they'd really want to talk to anybody. I think they really want their space. And we talk ourselves out. We talk ourselves out of comforting other people with the comfort that God's given us. I remember a young gal, high school, talking on the phone with her boyfriend, driving down a park, a drunk driver who had one of those pickups where he raised it up, you know, said it had the big wheels and all. And in his drunkenness, drove right over her while she's talking to her boyfriend. And killed her. The family's grieving in the church. The loss they had and all. I get a phone call from one of the elders' wives in the church. And she said, Mike, do you think it'd be okay if I go down and bring a meal to them? Folks, I want you to think about that. Asking permission. Asking encouragement. Asking help to comfort a brother or sister in Christ. But I think she's a lot like us. 
I think we know brothers and sisters in Christ who desperately need to be comforted. And we've been comforted in the same situation. And we choose not. We choose not to comfort. With the comfort that God comforted us. In our pain. And that was his design. He didn't comfort you just to be comforted. But to reach out. To embrace. To help. Another brother or sister in Christ. Oh, there's a third one here. What if you're the one who finds yourself. Waiting and you're praising God. Turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. It talks about this great salvation we have. With this great salvation, how we can respond. It says this. Through him, that's Christ, we've also obtained access by faith into the grace of God. In which we stand, in which we rejoice in the hope of his glory. There's that joy that comes, that praise that comes. Why? Because of the salvation, just like Anna saw. Drop down to verse 11. We have the same thing again. What takes place there, it says this. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Boy, there's things happening in your lives as you've waited and God's responded, then you praise the Lord for what happens. And as a result, we end up telling other people too of that great salvation that we have in Christ. Oh, brothers and sisters, are we not so much like a Simeon, a Mary, an Anna? Where we wait, we wait on the promises of God, knowing that he will bring consolation to our souls. Let's bow for prayer. Oh Lord, we're all in different circumstances. Oh, how we need to know your peace. Oh, whatever weighs upon us, Lord, whatever distractions we face, whatever we're anxious about, Lord, we need your peace. And Lord, how many times we find ourselves in pain when we wait. Things not going as we planned or thought they should. And just the pain and we need your comfort. Or Lord, when things have gone well and we've seen your answering to our prayers, that we can be your people who praise you for what you've done. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Now as we come to communion, I'm struck by this concept of peace. Let me read for you um, Romans chapter 5 verse 1. It says this. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We come to communion. Communion is to celebrate that relationship we have with Jesus Christ. How's that relationship come about? Through our faith in him alone. And it says we're justified. We're set apart. We're made holy before God through our faith in him alone. If you've been here this morning, you're listening to this, you say, you know what? Mike, I just don't have that peace with God that you're talking about. 
I understand pain and sorrow, but I don't have that peace. That peace is offered to you if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means there's a recognition that you're a sinner. That with sin, it's like you have sinned. It separates you from God. You recognize that Christ has died on the cross for your sins. He's God. He can pay the penalty for all of our sins. But not just his death. There's also his resurrection from the dead. That proves he is God. And by you believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, by you trusting the Lord Jesus Christ, by receiving him as your savior, you then have that eternal life and forgiveness of sin. If you know Christ in that way, we invite you to partake with us in communion. You don't have to be a member of our church. Just by being a member of the body of Christ, knowing him as your personal savior, we invite you to join us in the celebration of the Lord's Supper. But if you don't know Christ, we encourage you not to partake. The reason it's a proclamation that you're saying you know Christ, but the gospel needs to go forward. And in our preparation, we usually take a time for silent prayer. Oh, that prayer can be giving thanks for what God has done for you through Christ. It's also a time you can confess if somehow you just realize there's some things that you've said, motives you've had, attitudes, some action, something's like, hmm, I probably need to confess that to God too. It's a time of confession. But let us all have some silent prayer before God before we partake of the elements together. So I'm going to go to, we'll go to prayer and then I'll lead us in a prayer of thanks for the elements in a moment or two, okay? Let's go to prayer.